The following is a hoop ball presentation. Hello and welcome back to the Sports Ethos Atlanta Hawks Team Coverage Podcast, formerly known as Hoop Ball Hawks. We cover everything regarding the Atlanta Hawks. I'm your host, Brad Harden, recording live from Atlanta, Georgia. It's Sunday, January 15th. Some time has passed, and there's a lot to talk over this episode. The Bucks game, the Pacers game, the Raptors game, the Hawks have won the last two games. Have a big national televised game on Martin Luther King Day tomorrow here in Atlanta versus the Miami Heat. We're going to preview that and also talk through some of the drama surrounding this team with leadership and on the roster as well. So a lot to get into today. We're going to start off with the bad luck continuing for the Hawks on nationally televised midweek ESPN games. That continued when the Bucks rolled into Atlanta on Wednesday night. No Trey Young, no Clint Capella in the starting lineup, so down two starters. Hawks went down early thanks to hot shooting from the Milwaukee Bucks, including nine three-pointers in the first quarter. And they were down by 20 after the first quarter and down as much as 24 points. Fought all the way back, thanks in part due to a 36-point third quarter. It ended up taking the lead by two 103-101 with three minutes to go left in the game. But the Hawks did not manage to get a stop from the three-minute mark to the end buzzer except for a uh, shot clock violation that the Bucks willingly took when the game was in hand. And on top of them not executing down the stretch offensively and poor shot selection, and particularly from Bogey, since they missed their closer and Trey Young, the Bucks closed out executing offensively on their side of things, and the Hawks just could not get stops, and they fell short 114-105, despite a valiant effort in a coming back from down 24 points in the game without two of your starters. But there's no more victories, none. They started horrendously. Like I said, the Bucks made 18 three-pointers in the game, nine in the first quarter. Gave them a 20-point lead off the rip. The Hawks would shoot just under 45% in the game, so they did rebound offensively throughout the game and shot just under 37% from the three-point line. They were out-rebounded 57-41, to so they were out-rebounded by 16 rebounds. But one points in the paint and fast-break points to help them kind of get back inch closer and closer to the game. They had 25 team assists without Trey Young playing, which was very impressive. I thought the ball movement from the second quarter through the midway point in the fourth quarter was spectacular for the Hawks. Everyone touching the ball, everyone getting involved, and they do seem to play with a certain energy that people have been alluding to when Trey does not play. And I'm not saying that they're better without Trey Young. Trey Young is their closer. He is their leading scorer. He's a dynamic player, and you need him to win more games than you lose. That's not going to change for the foreseeable future at this point. But as a such a ball-dominant player, and then you have when healthy, and he was out due to illness that game, when you have two ball-dominant players and DeJounte Murray and Trey Young, the ball doesn't necessarily move as much as it should when they're both on the court, except in moments when they deliberately are trying to get everybody involved. Usually to start the game, they do that. Second quarter, they usually do a good job of that. Third quarter, you know, after they go in, have their halftime speech and make their adjustments, they usually execute as well. Then it usually comes down to fourth quarter execution, and that's when they usually get away from the hot hand. Ball movement isn't as prevalent in That's where the Hawks continually seem to get 
into trouble. So again, the late game woes plagued them in the Bucks game outside of being down by 20 plus points early in the game and having to expend a lot of energy to come back in that matchup. And it was a game where they only the only allowed Giannis to score seven points. Giannis only had seven points and you lose, which is a tough pill to swallow. But just because he had seven points did not mean he didn't do anything else. He added 18 rebounds and 10 assists. So still highly effective. Still one of the higher plus minuses on the team for the Bucks. Brooke Lopez, who likes to have great games against the Hawks, had another great game with 20 points, 12 rebounds, two blocks, and made four three-pointers. Drew Holiday had a great game against the Hawks, and honestly, I think he was the player of the game for Milwaukee, scoring 27 points, adding four rebounds, five assists, and two steals. Bobby Portis and Javon Carter off the bench for the Bucks both had 13 points apiece, and then Bobby Portis added 10 rebounds to go with his 13 points. For the Hawks in that game, you had to have a better game from DeJounte Murray. If you're going to be, and you are an all-star from the previous year, and that's what we traded you for to be a all-star caliber player next to Trey Young, who is a budding superstar in this league. And in a game where Trey Young was out and you needed, you needed DeJounte Murray to give you 21 to 26 points to be a spark offensively. He, you know, crapped the bed, to be to be frank. He crapped the bed. Scoring only nine points while shooting four of 16 from the field. Nine points on 16 shots. It's not going to get it done. He had only five assists. Had two steals. But with the five assists, he had three turnovers. So a very, very poor game from DeJounte Murray. But as we talk a little bit more on this podcast, he definitely will shake off the shooting woes that have been accumulating as of late for DeJounte Murray. John Collins had a solid game, 15.7 rebounds. DeAndre Hunter, who's been in a real good groove as of late, 16 points and nine rebounds for him. Okongu had seven points and nine rebounds, five assists and two blocks. The bench gave this Hawks team a huge lift on Wednesday night including 22 points off the bench for Bogey, 12 from Jalen Johnson, who continues to play very well himself, 13 points from a very unlikely source in Frank Kaminsky, who a lot of you scoff at when he gets on the on the court. But he made some plays down the stretch that certainly you know sparked his crowd and his team, and it was his three-point shooting, which he made three of them, on Wednesday night, that gave this Hawks team a lift in some spots, and A.J. Griffin added seven points on Wednesday night. So, valiant comeback effort fell short to Milwaukee Bucks. You can't get down to a team that's a top three team in the Eastern Conference. You can't, and arguably a top six team in the NBA. You just you just cannot spot them points, and. They did early on, and, and it was a lot of credit to the three-point shooting of the Milwaukee Bucks. With all that size, you'd you think dominating in the paint would be their game plan, but it was a three-ball that was falling early and often for the Milwaukee Bucks that really just put the game out of reach early, even though the Hawks did come back to take a, a brief lead before the Bucks quickly stole that away and extended it out to eight, nine points and ended up winning the game by nine points. But tough national television performance. It was a gutty performance for the Hawks. A lot of people probably turned off the game at the, in the first half, maybe early third quarter. And to see the Hawks team storm back shows the resilience this team has and that they did not give up. And that certainly showed me something and I think 
how they, maybe not how they finished in the last three minutes, but that fight sparked something and made this team reflect on maybe there's some changes that need to be made with us on the court because certainly articles keep looming about things out of their control as far as what is going on in the front office and it's rough. It's rough. And if you missed the article, it was an article from The Athletic that detailed the end of the Travis Schlank era in Atlanta. Basically, the events leading up to him being pushed out of his role. And there were reports that said that, hey, he's still with the organization in an advisory role. But there are new reports that say that he's not even part of the organization anymore and is free to go to a new organization. So it's to the point where misinformation, not misinformation, but things are constantly changing in a in, in basically in the wrong time of the season. This is the dog days of the NBA season, and this is really when you need to band together and the Hawks are tearing things apart. Travis Knight being pushed out no longer with the team. Three of his executives he brought from Golden State. No longer on the team. And the article really explained how Nick Ressler, Tony Ressler's son, has a heavy influence on the decision-making that's going on for the Atlanta Hawks. Someone who does not have any experience in a front office role in the NBA. And obviously, Tony Ressler has no experience running an NBA franchise. So it just speaks to the dysfunction and the lack of direction and the lack of chain of command that is going on in leadership for the Atlanta Hawks, and it's a joke. It is doing the players a disservice, the coaching staff a disservice. These fans who want to see this team succeed, they're doing them a disservice. And the article, if you have not read it, is very, very eye-opening. Um, I'm going to go into a few, few details here about the article right now. So typically, and I conferred with a source that is close to the team, does this particularly happen? And this this instance from the article does not typically happen. The West Coast road trip brought a lot of guests from the front office along on this trip. The article says that new general manager or named general manager Landry Fields, a 34-year-old former NBA player who was elevated to assistant GM role in June, now heads the front office with a on the trip, Nick Ressler, the 27-year-old son of Hawks owner Tony Ressler, who, from the article, has had increased influence on the roster and staffing decisions during his time as the team's director of business and basketball operations starting in December 2020, according to lead sources, who, like all the other sources in this story, granted, anonymity due to the sensitive nature of the situation. The guy is 27 years old. He's younger than me. No experience running an NBA team having increased influence on roster and staffing decisions. Questionable. Very questionable right there. Ryan Silverstein, the team's coordinator of cap strategy and administration in a close friend of Nick Ressler, who's, according to his LinkedIn page from this article, became a front office assistant for the Hawks in September of 2017. So he's been a part of the roster, but close friend of Nick Ressler is now promoted to team's coordinator of cap strategy and administration. I would love to know what his front office assistant role was prior to this. And then Grant Liffman. The 35-year-old who spent the last six seasons covering Golden State as a media member for NBC Sports Bay Area in was hired as a pro personnel scout in June. Is close friends with Landry Fields. And it seems like in the Hawks front office is about who you know, not what your background and what your, you know, past work experience is, it looks like. But they said it's normal for team executives to travel to road games, especially with the trade deadline coming up, which will be February 9th. 
but they typically don't bring the numbers that they did. And according to the article, they said that they met in one of Tony Ressler's homes in L.A. and had a closed-door front office meeting talking through basketball operations, which is interesting. And then obviously you guys saw the news that Kyle Corver was promoted in his role, which in my opinion is more of a PR move, but interesting to see what his influence could be. But it's just a lot of change going on mid-season, which these are changes that usually happen off-season after you have had time to review and reflect on performances of personnel in the front office and the team and coaching staff and whatnot. But to make this move mid-season is eye-opening and very alarming if I'm a Hawks fan personally. But basically, in, in this article talks about it's weird to flip your front office upside down in this time period. And he said that, obviously, the article gets into the fact that Schlenk and, you know, the advisors that came over from Golden State have all been removed from the organization. And even though Wrestler gave Schlenk and his staff an extension last year, they let them go. They made these changes. And the article says that according to sources, and confirmed to The Athletic that Nick Russell's effect on the decision-making process played a pivotal role in the power dynamics that ultimately led to Travis Schlenk's exile. This was a bit of an open secret around the league, that the article says, and it's clear that Nick Russell's voice is being heavily considered on all things Hawks these days. And it was discussed in a podcast episode through The Ringer that... The reality is that the key Hawks figures were feeling undermined by Nick Ressler's influence became a growing issue internally in the recent months, specifically in relation to Trey Young, and had everything to do with Tony Ressler's choice to overhaul the staff. The DeJounte Murray trade with San Antonio was the beginning of the end, according to the article, as sources says it went down despite Schlenk expressing his concerns about the price being paid for DeJounte Murray, which I hate to drudge this up, but it was three first-round picks, a first-round pick swap, and Danilo Gallinari. And it says, with Nick Ressler known to be the driving force behind the deal, league sources in the article say that Fields and several other team officials were in favor of the deal as well. But Schlenk was not fully on board. So... When the owner's son is running things behind closed doors and the guy who you're paying to run your NBA organization and has experience doing it has concerns, you're going to go with your son's opinion who's 27 years old and has not done this long at all since 2020, not even three years, over Travis Schlenk, who has done a Great job, as I continue to say, outside of lack of adding front court depth on his team. And that is more so on ownership, who did not want to go over the luxury tax and pay the penalty, which is why Kevin Herter got traded. People think Travis Schlenk wanted to trade Kevin Herter. That was that was a wrestler decision to stay under the luxury tax. And they said that the Nate McMillan messiness... Did not help the situation. That was the final straw in regarding Schlenk and saying, hey, they want to go a new direction. And they said Tony Wrestler may add more experienced front office executives later on and needs to. And now that this new quote unquote brain trust, and I use that loosely, is part of this organization. Now trade talks are ramping up and now we're seeing more John Collins rumors flying. And John Collins, who was asked by The Athletic, basically says he's to the point where he doesn't care anymore about the rumors. And this has basically been the last three years of his six-year tenure in Atlanta. And it's a never-ending saga of trade rumors. And that's a sign of poor leadership. 
leadership that does not trust each other, that is butting heads and that was divided. And now we're fully seeing how dysfunctional it was behind the scenes. And I just want to say this now. I feel bad for John Collins and the players in this organization having to deal with this. This is this is a crap show. It's a clown show, whatever you want to call it. This is a an episode of real world. I mean, this is sick. This is sick that John Collins has to d- deal with this. And he's now ready to find a new situation. And the quarter reports, NBA insider Mark Stein said that the Hawks are apparently allowing John Collins' camp to seek out trade partners, which has led to some trade scenarios and the package that Utah is apparently offering up to everybody. Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley, potentially for John Collins, which I tweeted about it a few days ago. I would like that if I'm the Hawks because Vanderbilt is a better defender than John Collins. He can guard multiple positions. You don't need to put the ball in his hands. He's an excellent rebounder, especially on the offensive glass. I think that would be a great supplemental piece to shore up an area that needs help defensively and obviously rebounding. And then you get another shooter who can be streaky in Malik Beasley. I don't think it's a bad trade if that's the trade that sends John Collins out of town. But reportedly Utah, Dallas, Washington, and Brooklyn are still interested, especially with the asking price dropping sooner rather than later. But the only thing about that rumor is if you get Beasley – it begs the question, how much longer does Bogey stay on this roster? A lot of people have an affinity for Bogey, but injuries have been an issue with Bogey. And Bogey, outside of the, the playmaking and the shot creation, they kind of do the same things. They're both kind of streaky at times. They're both going to be really relied upon bench scores who can stretch the floor, space the floor, shoot the three. Those are questions that this front office has to answer, and I don't know if I trust them to figure that out. I don't know if I trust them with any decision until Tony Wrestler brings in someone with some front office experience to help this young group of front office executives. I don't know if I trust any of them to make the right decision. I mean, this an article talks about put yourself in the Jante Murray's shoes. Leaving San Antonio, being excited to play with Trey Young, and then coming in and seeing all the dysfunction on and off the court with this team. He even says there's a lot going on non-basketball. And then with basketball, you got guys in Trey rumors, and it's obviously more than that he just stopped. He just said, he said that he wouldn't say more than what he expected, but where he came from in San Antonio, everything was not as loud. And he said there's a lot going on, but this is why I say that DeJounte Murray needs to be the leader of his team. He says there's a lot going on, but for me, I'm just trying to keep the guys together with my leadership, showing up to work, working hard, being vocal, and keeping us together, and trying to keep the outside noise to outside noise. He said, at the end of the day, we all see it. You can't hide. You can't run from it. For him, he says he adversity shows what you're built of and who you are. He loves adversity. And from where he comes from to make it to the NBA, getting overlooked, getting hurt, being out for a whole year, he said just fighting no matter what. Adversity helps you build up. And he said there's a lot of noise, but at the end of the day, winning takes care of it all so that we need to control what we can control and continue to come together as brothers and try to go out there and win basketball games. That is a leader. And that is going to get into one of my points after the break where something happened in Indiana that has not been reported yet. And I don't know the contents of what I'm about to break on here. But I know that one person was not in attendance for reasons I don't know. But this could be the reason for the two games. And I'm interested to see if the Hawks can string together a few more games if we'll look back on this moment in Indiana. We're going to talk about that, but more with this article. It just says that the Hawks remain adamant that Trey Young remains the centerpiece of the franchise, and it's worth wondering 
this is what the article says, where they may go from here if things don't turn around. And questions as far as what will Murray's mindset be this summer as he enters his final year of his deal, considering the massive amount that the Hawks paid to get him to Atlanta and the prospect of him leaving two summers from now will be less than ideal. Those are questions that need to be answered. Murray may not have, have the same offensive impact, but he's certainly, you know, helping this team, you know, improve defensively. And he had to take a back seat to Trey Young. And he knew that. He knew that. He just said that, hey, he's just trying to figure it out and find his niche here in Atlanta and get comfortable in Atlanta. And he said, it's a business. And at the end of the day, he said, when free agency comes and that time comes, he's focusing on basketball now. They brought him here to win. He's going to continue to grow and learn and get better, figure out his teammates and figure out how to win games. But when free agency comes, he's going to cross that bridge. And then they asked Trey Young, who was mum on sharing his inner thoughts you know, just saying, hey, new new pieces, we're not healthy. Uh, we beat some good teams. We lost some teams we should beat. And this is all Trey Young's words. And just trying to control, you know, make sure that they're ready every single night. And I think this next line, with a shot at Naaman Mellon, I'm going to be real. We've done a bad job sometimes of kind of not being ready sometimes. That's his words. He said, maybe it's the new guys. You never know. But if we get into a rhythm, that's all it takes. You get into a rhythm with one game, two games, and it takes care of itself. I hear no accountability, which has been a a fair criticism of Trey Young. And when they asked him about, you know, how he's feeling about the front office and relationship with his coach, he said he feels fine. And he feels like there's a lot of people outside that don't really understand what's going on in the inside. He said he just laughs at it, and sometimes when people want to assume things or whatever. That is somebody who obviously is a private person. From what I've been told, he doesn't really hang out with his teammates outside of road trips. He kind of just does his own thing, goes to his house, hangs out with his family. I mean, and, and that's fine if you're into that. But you have to connect as a team, and I continue to see lack of accountability on his own just saying we just got to get in the rhythm we we i don't hear i i'm glad he's saying we because he knows his team sport but when it comes to getting his opinion he kind of shies away from that and maybe that's growth and maturity maybe he's not comfortable doing that i'm not going to shame a man for being a private person and he just talked about how things should stay private and um, you guys will get some stories and you should, but some things should stay private and his confidence level is high with the organization and he likes Landry. He's, uh, he's a great guy and there's confidence there. Those are Trey Young's words. He's kind of dodging the, the issues at hand and I'm not going to say that maybe this led to the next thing, but it's certainly something to consider when you're trying to break down and figure out the polarizing figure that is Trey Young and where he fits in all this. People are now saying, hey, maybe Trey Young is the problem on his team. I think he deserves some blame. I think he has an influence on some things, and there's going to be people who look at his numbers or just really Trey Young fans. And, you know, I, I I love his story. I love the chip on his shoulder. I love how he's defined the odds of his size and stature and combated his pre-written narrative that people think he couldn't make it in this league to be the player that he is. I love that. But there's some things if you're going to be the leader of this team that you're going to have to be willing to do. You're going to have to be Comfortable being uncomfortable, being vulnerable, being transparent, connecting with your teammates. And maybe he does that behind closed doors, but it's not something that we're hearing from his teammates. His teammates, sometimes your teammates are your big, biggest advocate. And I don't hear them advocating for him. And maybe if they are behind closed doors, with all the dysfunction and turmoil surrounding this 
franchise, it needs to be made public. Speak up for your teammate if that's how you feel. But like I said, we're going to take a quick break and then I'm going to talk about the thing I'm breaking on this podcast today and then talking about the last two games where the Hawks have won and this big matchup on MLK Day tomorrow versus the Miami Heat on TNT. But first, this quick plug. Okay, listeners, it's time to talk a little fantasy hoops. Now, I don't know about you. I'm in several fantasy leagues, and every fantasy league that you are in, you have a rival. Pokemon, Ash Ketchum had Gary, and I know you have your Gary out there. So it's time to beat Gary and get the insight that you need to take your stuff to the next level and win a fantasy basketball championship. Do you remember who led you to Tyrese Halliburton, DeJounte Murray, Terry Rozier, and Mikhail Bridges? Before any other rank list, I know which one, it's the Brewskies 150. And you probably turn those huge wins into some cash or a fantasy basketball championship. This year, the Brewski 150 is on sale for a limited time. And Ethos 360 subscribers can get access in less than a week. Head to sportsethos.com. And click on the premium tab to grab membership information or the draft guide today. And yes, to answer your most important question, the Brewski 150 is included in both options. Check back daily for more new features and go dominate your leagues. Beat Gary with the help of Sports Ethos. All right, and we are back. I haven't heard anyone break this news, so I might be the first one to break this. So, apparently before the game Friday night versus the Indiana Pacers, and I don't know how prevalent these meetings are, so it may be a non-story, but there was apparently a players-only meeting that was held on Friday afternoon before the Hawks took on the Indiana Pacers and and this was this news is from a source close to the team um that broke this news and apparently and I'm not going to get into any speculations for the reason of this but they were f- out of all the players on the roster only one did not show up to the players only meeting and that one player apparently according to my sources was Trey Young and I'm not going to speculate why he wasn't there. Optically, it's bad whenever this story does get out. And if it does get out, as far as he not attending a players-only meeting when you are a player, like I said, there's nothing else giving any explanation for why he was or was not there. I mean, it was a guy who was sick on Wednesday night. Could still be not well, didn't want to be around his teammates. Could be that, or it could be something entirely different. I'm not here to speculate. I'm just going to just report what happened. And I don't know what the details as far as the context and the things discussed in this players-only meeting, but all I know is that since this players-only meeting, and I'm going to run a tally, Hawks are 2-0 since they had this players-only meeting. The Indiana game was exactly the halfway mark of the season. And this players-only meeting was, if I had to guess, they probably wanted to say, hey, half half the season's gone. We're getting healthier. As I record today, Clint Capella has been upgraded to questionable for tomorrow's game. And Trey Young's probably with some left shoulder soreness. But Capella's going to be back soon. This is the healthiest his team has been. And no matter as far as taking accountability or not, one thing John Collins and Murray and Trey Young, who have all been vocal the last few weeks about the situation going on in Atlanta, is that they haven't been healthy. And them being healthy is a huge difference maker as far as in the Eastern Conference. And when healthy, this is a really good team. People still 
do not realize the value of having Clint Capella on the floor. Yes, the Hawks have won the last two games, and Okongu has been great. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that a little bit later. But we are still a better team when Clint Capella is healthy. And so I just wish I knew what was said in the players-only meeting, but I can kind of garner that, hey, let's finish strong. We have the second half of the season left. It's time to really get it in the gear, play for each other. No more of these slow starts. Come in locked in and engaged. And that's what we saw in Indiana, despite the 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 valiant effort from the Pacers who were shorthanded, down three starters, didn't have Tyrese Halliburton, uh, potential all-star this year, Aaron Neesmith, didn't have their shot-blocking, floor-stretching five in Miles Turner. But they played as a team. It was a great team win in Indianapolis, and maybe that could be credited to this players-only meeting that happened on that Friday afternoon. And even though there was good and bad in that game, they fought wire to wire, and the win was capped off by the tip-in by John Collins at the end of the game with .7 seconds left to play. Like I said, pretty solid effort wire to wire for the Hawks, and it was the team effort, especially on the defensive end, and the great three-point shooting, which the Hawks shot 48% from the three-point line on Friday night. It's what led for them to hang on and win this game. Like I said, Indiana hung tough. And every time the Hawks would get out to a decent lead, Indiana would fight back. And then in the third quarter, Indiana fought back and took the lead, extended the lead. They got a lead and pushed it to nine points with about eight minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. And that's when the Hawks got it going and started executing down the stretch. Unlike in that game versus the Milwaukee Bucks, and it sure helped to have Trey Young back. It sure did. I'm glad that he was not sick on Friday night because we certainly needed his three-point shooting in that game versus Indiana. But Indiana, I tip my cap to them down three starters. They fought hard. It was a game that the Hawks should have won. They didn't make it easy on them, but you went in there and you took care of business after having that players-only meeting. To have that players-only meeting and then lose in Indiana would have been debilitating. That was a very important win. Every media outlet, no matter who is in front of the mic or writing the story, typing the story, wherever they are, uh, talking about on the radio, everyone knew that this was a big game, a very big game in Indiana that could be looked at as a new season, the second half of the season. Now you've started off 2-0 and in this new season. And from now on, like I said, we're going to document this Indiana game when they had the players on meeting and see what the record was when they just blocked out the noise and focused on each other and went out there with a plan of attack and say, hey, we're going to go out there. We're going to win. We're going to play for each other. We're going to turn this thing around. And maybe the story comes out later on about what took place in the players only meeting and what was said. And if it was the rallying cry to spark a huge run for this Atlanta Hawks team, I would love for that to happen. I would absolutely love for that to happen. But all I know is that they're 2-0 since this meeting. And even though Indiana dominated the points in the paint and fast break points on Friday night, it was the balance scoring, the ball movement, and the defense from the Atlanta Hawks throughout the game that led to the victory. The Hawks had four players with over 18 points in the game. Trey Young was the leading scorer, 26 points. He was 6 of 16 from the floor, but all six of his mates were three-pointers. He was 6 of 10 from the three-point line, so he really shot the three-ball very well. Got to the free-throw line nine times, made eight of his free-throw attempts, recorded 11 assists, and only had two turnovers. And he's been really taking care of the ball as of late. And I tweeted out, and the Sports Ethos account tweeted this as well, looking at... Trey Young's numbers and how they've improved. Before December 15th, Trey Young was shooting just under 41% from the floor, 55% from the restricted area, 41% from mid range, and 28.5% from three. And this is from Kevin Chenard, who 
tweeted this out. He did the research, so I want to give him the credit. But Kevin also tweeted after December 15th, Trey Young has shot 46% from the floor, so almost six percentage points better than prior to December 15th. Shooting 60.5% from the restricted area, five percentage points higher than before December 15th. 46% from the mid range, 5% better than prior to December 15th. And shooting 41 and a half, sorry, 41.7% from three, which is more than 5%. So this is not a running theme, but over 13% higher from three since December 15th. He certainly got into a rhythm and he's missed some games here and there. He's certainly getting into a rhythm. And Trey Young is all about rhythm. We talked about it from the athletic article that, hey, we got to get in the rhythm. We got to get in the rhythm. It's good that he's finding his rhythm. But more importantly than his rhythm is everybody else on the team. In DeAndre Hunter, who I said is unequivocally now the third leading scorer in this starting lineup now, has found his rhythm, certainly. And he was really in rhythm on Friday night, scored 25 points. Shot 50% from the floor, 6 of 9 from 3. So he had 6 threes and Trey Young had 6 threes. 12 threes between Trey Young and DeAndre Hunter. They shot a combined from three-point range, 12 of 19 from three-point range. And if you are a math major, and I am not, and you get your calculator out, that is 63% from three. That's pretty damn good. Pretty damn good. They were the engines that really kept this team going throughout the night. And I would be remiss if I did not talk about the monster night that Okongwu had. Best game of his career so far. Easily. Not even close. After starting off the first quarter with 14 points, 9 rebounds. Sorry, 8 rebounds and a block. He ended with 18 points, a career-high 20 rebounds including seven on offensive glass, four assists, two steals, four blocks. He was a monster in the paint. He was a high-impact player, second-highest plus-minus on the team behind Trey Young, key rebounds, blocking shots, really aggressive on the offensive glass. He said that after his game against the Bucks, his mom called him out, some friends, some teammates, and he needed to be more aggressive, and certainly he was more aggressive on the offensive end. On Friday night, he looked great attacking the basket, finishing, looking for his shot. And if we can get this from a Kongu on a nightly basis, not 18 points, 20 rebounds. That's too much to expect. But if he's flirting with a double-double, especially when he's coming off the bench when Capella comes back, and yes, Capella should still start only, only if he is fully healthy. If... There's some things holding Capella back. I can see them keeping Okongu in the starting lineup and bringing Capella off the bench to slowly ease him back into the flow of things. But if he's a full go, Capella is still starting. I don't care what you guys say. Capella is still starting. And I will get into the record. I've been tracking it. All I know is that when Capella plays, the Hawks are 15 and 12, three games above 500. So you can do the math. I will bring the record up when Capella does not play. But we need him for defensive purposes, rebounding and so forth. He is the anchor on this defense. We need him on a nightly basis. But I'm not taking away from Ayaka Kongu. He's been playing great. And that game in Indiana was the game he needed to boost his confidence. That was a game right there. That said, hey, that's a top 10 pick. That is a former top 10 pick right there. So, amazing game from him. DeJounte Murray, who had a bad game against Milwaukee, started slow versus Indiana, but picked it up in the third quarter and ended with 18 points. He was 7 of 18 shooting from the floor, so still not uber efficient, but 18 points doubled his point total versus Milwaukee, so that's great. He was 50% from three. He added eight rebounds, six assists, and one crucial steal that led to a fast break opportunity in the fourth quarter. So 
great bounce back game from DeJounte Murray, and he had an even better game against Toronto, which we'll get into here in a bit. John Collins had a terrible game outside of the fourth quarter versus Indiana because he ended up being the hero. In the fourth quarter, he hit his lone three-pointer and had to tip in to win the game. He finished with seven points, eight rebounds, and still on the block. Like I said, he was he looked bad defensively. He's missing a lot of easy shots around the rim. He just seemed out of sync, out of rhythm. He seemed kind of winded at times, but he battled and persevered, which that's what I love about John Collins. And he made the plays where it counted in the fourth quarter. So you got to tip your cap to John Collins for not giving up when everyone gives up on him on Twitter. And you know who you are when John Collins does not perform well. You're the first first one to call him out. But I'm certainly glad that he was in the right place at the right time for that tip-in at the end of the game. On Friday night, on off the bench, A.J. Griffin had eight points. Jalen Johnson had a really good game, seven points, five rebounds. Bogey struggled mightily in that Indiana game. He only scored four points, and he ended up missing a Toronto game with a right quad issue, soreness there. Uh, He's not on the injury report. He should be good to go for tomorrow's game versus the Miami Heat. But as I mentioned, that Toronto game, that Toronto game was a good one for you Hawks fans to watch. The Hawks got off. They finally started fast. Finally started fast. They started fast against Indiana, so I'll give them credit there. They did not start fast against Milwaukee, but obviously, like I said, players-only meeting that occurred versus Indiana. You get the win versus Indiana, and then you go up to Toronto where you have struggled mightily playing up there, and they lost their last seven games in Toronto. You get off to an 18-2 start and never look back, and you lead the game wire to wire and win the game. That's their first win in Toronto in the last eight tries. And that win on Saturday night clinched the season series over the Toronto Raptors. So you win the season series two to one. They only played Toronto three times this year. So you beat them twice. Beat them twice. And you got one in Toronto, which was a confidence builder for the future. You know you can beat them. In Toronto. That's a tough place to play. You got the win. That was huge. And it was a dominant performance from the backcourt of the Atlanta Hawks, who were aggressive offensively, finding their shots and setting up others. Trey Young and DeJounte Murray combined for 56 points and 15 assists. And they did it on both ends of the floor. Trey made some great plays defensively. DeJounte Murray, you already know what he does on a nightly basis defensively, but he was in a rhythm offensively it was certainly his best game that he's had in a few weeks and I'm gonna dive a little bit more into the numbers because I I want to talk through the efficiency of DeJounte Murray and Trey Young in that Toronto Raptors game like that was something to behold and it was great to see the only other time we saw them score this efficiently in the same game together and dominate was the Houston Rockets game that they blew the lead on. And that's something that is still unforgivable to this day. But we shrugged that off and they moved on. And certainly moved on in big fashion. DeJounte Murray, 27 points. He was 10 of 17 from the floor. 2 of 5 from 3. He added 6 assists, 8 rebounds. Did have 2 steals. He was plus 13 on a plus minus. 4 turnovers. So obviously need to clean up there. Trey Young had 29 points, 9 assists. He shot 9 of 17 from the floor, 2 of 5 from 3. Um, he made all 9 of his free throw attempts. DeJounte Murray made 5 of 6 of his free throw attempts. Trey Young had 1 block, 3 turnovers. So 7 turnovers combined between your two uh, backcourt players. I'll take, especially when they're primary ball handlers. When they're north of 8, 9, typically things go awry for the Hawks, but they led the way early on. They were in a rhythm. Toronto was not. They shot poorly from the floor in the first quarter, which led to obviously them being down 18-2, to two, and then the Hawks pretty much never looking back. The Hawks as a team shot 51% from the floor, over 40% from three, 
94% from the free throw line. They only committed 12 turnovers. The Hawks were scored 21 points off of 14 Raptors turnovers on Saturday night. Held Toronto to 41% shooting from the floor and 24% from three. Hawks had six players in double digits. Outside of Murray and Trey Young, John Collins had 11 points. Okongu had 10 points and 13 rebounds. Also two blocks on Saturday night. DeAndre Hunter with 11 points and five rebounds. A.J. Griffin going against his dad, who is one of the lead assistants for the Raptors, certainly rose up to the occasion, as you expect. 13 points on five or six shooting from the floor, including three made three-pointers. And then Jalen Johnson was another good game off the bench. Nine points from him. And they weathered 27 points and 12 rebounds from Scotty Barnes from Toronto, who continues his great play versus the Hawks. But Hawks really were fortunate from the poor shooting from Pascal Siakam, who normally kills the Hawks. Only shot 5 of 16 from the floor on Saturday night, scoring 15 points. And then you are really fortunate when Van Fleet only scores three points on you. And he had a very poor shooting night, one of nine from the floor for Van Fleet. OG Ananobi had 14 points, and then the two forwards off the bench, Boucher and Pressures Achua, both had 14 points for the Raptors. Score looked closer than it really was. They ended up winning by 11 but at times, it was a much greater lead than that. But it was just great to see the Hawks have a dominating performance in a hostile environment in Toronto and really just build confidence. And now they have strung two together after that players-only meeting going into tomorrow night, sorry, tomorrow afternoon's game versus the Miami Heat, which will take place at 3.30 Eastern time on TNT in the State Farm Arena for the annual MOK Day game. Akangu, who I said, has been playing great the last several games. He's been aggressive on the glass and offensively. And like I said, we're finally seeing him play like a top 10 pick. And I said before, however, we still need Capella because we are 6-10 and 10 without Capella in the lineup. 6-10 and 10 without Capella in the lineup. And per 48 minutes, per 48 minutes, Capella still has the highest win share on his team. And for those of you who don't know what win share is, win share is the estimated number of wins a player contributes to a team. And in this case, it's per 48 minutes. The league average is 0.1 per 48 minutes as far as contributing the wins. Capella is 0.198. 0.198. So he's well above the league average. And he's number one a team per 48 minutes. As far as contributing to wins. For reference, Trey Young is fourth on the team per 48 minutes for win shares for the Hawks at 0.120. And then if you look at just regular uh, win shares, Congo is actually the highest on the team right now at three and a half wins. Capella is third on the team in 3.1 wins. And Trey Young, your second on the team at 3.3 wins. Regardless, people who say we need to trade Capella to make way for Okongwu, you need both because they both contribute to winning basketball. And those are your top three as far as contributing to wins, non-48 minutes, just in general. Okongwu, Trey Young, Capella in that order. And then after that, there's a big drop-off at four. And that's John Collins, who, as I said before, Capella is at 3.1. John Collins at fourth. Is 2.1. So one win less than Trey Capella and Okongwu. So you need both of them to contribute to winning basketball and help to turn this thing around. You need Capella to be healthy. And you need Okongwu to continue to play aggressive and play with confidence. And I think good things will continue to happen for this Atlanta Hawks team. And Capella's missed the last three weeks now with his calf injury. Like I said, he's questionable for tomorrow's game. So it'll be great to have him back because front court depth is needed for this Hawks team. That's why we signed Derek Favors to a 10-day contract. You need both of them healthy to turn this thing around. Hunter, as I continue to say, has solidified himself as a trusted scoring option 
in the starting lineup. I think he's the third scoring option in the starting lineup right now. And I think that would be undoubtedly true, even more true, if John Collins were to be moved off this roster. What we've seen from Hunter, his confidence, his aggression, his ability to hit more shots, especially from beyond the yard. They said that in the first half of games, he shoots like 28% from three. He's up to 42% in the second half of games. He's a second-half player. We saw that in the Indiana game, and we saw it even in the Raptors game. He started getting into gear in the second half of that contest as well. If we can get um, Hunter engaged early and scoring throughout the game, who knows how much he can score. But we know that he shines in the second half of games, and I think he's been relied upon as a third leading scoring option on his team. And I think he needs to continue to be that for this team and be consistent and be healthy for this Hawks team to turn this thing around. Other news, the Hawks did waive Jared Culver in favor of signing the Long Island Nets forward G League player Donovan Williams to a two-way contract, according to Shams yesterday. Apparently, according to sources, he's viewed more as a project-type player, but was averaging just under 16 points per game for the Nets G League affiliate team this year and really balled out in the G League showcase in Vegas to really put himself on the map for teams to be interested in his services. So the Hawks will bring in the 6'6 forward who went to, went to college at UNLV by ways of the University of Texas. He's just 21 years old, shoots about 50% from the floor, 40% from three, averages just under three rebounds a game and over a steal a game and can be known to get in foul trouble, but did have a career high 30 points in a G league contest earlier this year. So interested to see him get some clock maybe here in the second half of the season. That was a move to remove Jared Culver, who is had some moments for the Hawks team, but certainly was a two way player, did not get nearly enough minutes. And I'm not saying he needed more, but to bring on a guy who seems a little bit more promising, plays similar position, similar stature, and has better percentages from the floor. So we'll see, obviously, Donovan Williams for the Skyhawks for College Park, but see if he gets any tick for the Atlanta Hawks. And as I mentioned, MLK Day game tomorrow, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time in the State Farm Arena. Hawks right now sit at 21-22 and 22 overall. Two and a half games back from the division-leading Miami Heat, leading the Southwest Division right now. Just two and a half games back from them. And they are two and a half games back from them at the seventh seed. Right now, the Hawks sit at ninth. So just two and a half games back from seven. There are three games back from the sixth seed that the New York Knicks are currently sitting at. There's still more work to be done. I would love for them to string another game on top of this two-game winning streak. Right now, Miami's on a three-game winning streak and have won the seven of the last ten games. We know that Miami will be without Kyle Lowry tomorrow for the game, so that is some news that just dropped today that Kyle Lowry would not be available for the Miami Heat. And in other injury reports, Kayla Martin will be out as well for Miami. And like I said, Capella is right now questionable, and Trey Young is probable for tomorrow's game versus the Miami Heat. So big game, big game. You're playing them here at home. They played horribly versus the Miami Heat earlier this year, and reviewing that previous matchup versus the Miami Heat would just make you make you sick, make you sick. They lost one hundred six to ninety eight. Here at home, Bam had 32 points. That was a 23-point performance from John Collins that night. Caleb Martin killed you with 20 points, nine rebounds, four assists that game. Hero had a triple-double. Max Struss, 16 points, 13 points off the bench for Deadman, and no Jimmy Butler available in that game. Jimmy Butler should be available this game, but no Kyle Lowry, so it's going to be interesting to see who gets the point guard duties? Maybe it's Hero. Maybe it's someone else. Gabe Vincent, probably, who has had good games against the Hawks. But you got to win this game if you're the Hawks. 
you're already 0-1 versus Miami this year, and you lost that game by eight points at home. After this game tomorrow, your next two games versus Miami is going to be a two games in three days type situation on the road. So it would be great to get one here at home and then maybe steal one of the two in Miami in March and you split the season series and you feel a little bit better about yourself. It's about continuing to play as a team, continue to find your rhythm, trust each other, and like I said, the halfway point of the season is over. This is a new season, and right now you're 2-0. It's time to put push forward, go 0-1 on Monday, and move to 3-0, and continue to move on through the schedule because it does not get easier. It does not get easier. After this quick game at home, they're going to travel to Dallas for a Wednesday night ESPN game. You know how poorly the Hawks play on mid-week ESPN game. So let's see if they can right their wrongs against the Mavericks, who is always a tough contest. We always play them very well. We did not play them this year yet. So it'll be really interesting to see how we compete against Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks, who we're always attached at the hip with. Always attached at the hip with. And looking ahead to Dallas, not overlooking, obviously, the Heat, because that's a very important game. Dallas is 6-4 and four in the last 10 games. Did lose their last game against the Portland Trailblazers last night. So we will see how they perform. I mean, they play the Trailblazers again tonight um, at 9 p.m. Eastern time. So doing a two games in two days on the road versus the Trailblazers before taking on your Atlanta Hawks on Wednesday. So that's certainly going to be a big matchup. And if we're healthy against the Mavericks, I think it'll be a very interesting matchup. We have not played well in Dallas in recent years. So it'll be great to right the wrongs there on ESPN versus a national televised audience. And people are going to be talking about who won the trade, who won the trade. That continues to be the topic of conversation when... The Hawks and Mavericks play. Let's show them who won to trade if you're the Atlanta Hawks. After traveling to Dallas, they will come back to Atlanta Friday, take on the Knicks, then take on the, the Charlotte Hornets at home on the second night of a back-to-back. And then on next Monday, they'll take on the Bulls on the road. So heat tomorrow afternoon, Mavericks Wednesday, the Knicks Friday, the Hornets Saturday, and the Bulls next Monday. I think you need to, if I'm going through this, I would love the Hawks to be 3-1. and one. I say maybe they drop the contest versus the Mavericks, they beat the Heat, beat the Knicks at home, and they beat the Hornets at home. The Hornets, you have to win that game. You cannot lose the game against the Hornets. I think this Heat game is a must-win. Honestly, every game at this point is a must-win if you're the Hawks, if we're being honest. But if we're looking week to week, you got to go 3-1. and one. you got to go 3-1 and one this week. you got four games, four opportunities. Continue to attack it a game at a time and see if you can climb out of this hole and climb up the standings in the Eastern Conference. Get yourself out of a play-in spot and get yourself back into a top-six seed. Do I trust the Knicks long-term? No, I don't. I think that's an opportunity there. Do I trust the Heat? They are a championship organization. We'll see. Health has been their issue the last several years. We'll see if they do get healthy and they go on a run. But it truly is a game-to-game situation. Focus on the task at hand. Go 1-0 that day and move on to the next one and see if you can get in the rhythm and you can turn some heads and turn this thing around. If things turn, I want this to be credited to the players only meeting by the Hawks before that Indiana game. I don't want this to be attributed to the front office. The front office did nothing but murk the waters and make things more difficult than they really had to. 
add unnecessary drama to a team that's already have immense amount of pressure on their shoulders. So if they make this move up the standings, it's going to be a credit to these players buying in, playing for each other, and finishing strong. So we'll see how they perform tomorrow afternoon versus versus the Heat. And if you love what you heard from me today, give us five stars. Give us a good review. Share to tell everybody about the hottest new podcast covering the Atlanta Hawks. You know the drill. Share with fellow Hawks fans, NBA fans, Georgia sports fans, basketball fans. Doesn't matter. Put them onto this program, especially with the second half of the NBA season here. Hawks, I think, are primed to go on a run. And follow the run here with us at Sports Ethos Atlanta Hawks. Follow all of our latest news and tweets on Twitter at Ethos Hawks. On Twitter, that's at Ethos Hawks. And then follow myself at Brad Jarrett67. That's Brad J-A-R-R-E-T-T-6-7. We'll catch you guys after the Miami Heat game to continue to look ahead to the week, preview that Dallas matchup, the Knicks, Hornets, and so forth. So with that, let's go Hawks. Let's win at home against the Heat on MLK Day tomorrow afternoon and start the second half of the season 3 and. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.